0: Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Hey, friends, Dolph here, welcoming you to a very special episode of the Successful Nonprofits podcast. Over the past three months, we have asked each of our esteemed guests one important question. What was your most impactful failure and why? You might ask me, why did we pose this question to our guests? And the reason is that failure plays a crucial role in our growth and development, both as individuals and also as organizations. As the saying often goes, failures are the stepping stones to success. And there is no better teacher in this world than failure itself. And that's why we wanted to highlight the significance of embracing failure, learning from it, and using it as a catalyst for our own growth and for our organization's growth. Our guests, my friends, have shown immense courage in openly discussing their failure on a podcast that thousands of people will hear. And I am grateful for their courage in doing so because they provided us with valuable insights in the unique ways they navigated through challenges in their own lives and have modeled the importance of transparency about each of our own failures. We've selected the best answers from those conversations, and we have stitched them together in a powerful montage that will take you on a journey of growth, resilience, and transformation. I hope that their stories will inspire you to embrace your own failures and use them as a springboard for success. Throughout this episode, you're going to hear about the various ways our guests experienced failure, from strategic missteps to heartbreaking setbacks, from personnel issues to communication breakdowns. But more importantly, you will discover how they learned from their experiences, how they adapted their strategies, and how they ultimately emerged stronger. And as you listen To each guest answering this question, you will notice a common theme running through each story, the power of reflection and learning. Our guests have demonstrated the importance of not only acknowledging failure, but also examining the root causes and taking the steps necessary to grow from that failure their stories serve as a reminder to me and all of us that our ability to learn from our mistakes is crucial for long-term success and impact so my friends let's dive into this special montage episode and explore the lessons our guests have learned from their most impactful failures get ready to be inspired, to be challenged, and to be motivated to turn your own setbacks into stepping stones for growth. Aaron Kahana came on the podcast. You may recall he is a smart young entrepreneur who is a co-founder of Chariot, an organization that helps nonprofits like yours benefit from donor-advised funds through just a button on their website. Aaron, What failure was most important to your development and why?
1: I think the biggest failure that it was kind of like a pivotal moment in my life was when my grandfather actually passed away in high school. I was 16 at the time. And the failure, I say specifically related to that, was not that he passed away. That's not a failure in any way, shape or form for me, but that I didn't appreciate my relationship with him enough. I think growing up when you're a kid, life is kind of all about you. And things that you care about, whether that's like the sports that I did after school or the grades that I wanted to get in high school. And I don't think that I developed enough a relationship of something that I could have really had. And that was very hard for me only after the fact that i I, I lost him that I realized that it was something that I missed out on. And the way it changed me, not only obviously, do I now like call my grandmothers every week, and I talk to them every Friday. I think beyond that also, it just changed the way I look at life. Life is very temporal and short. And if you're so myopic and focused on the daily tasks or things that are like really important to you or seem very important to you, you could kind of lose picture of what else is going on in your life and the other people that really make life worth living. And I think that Change my perspective on work and also change my perspective on like just self priorities. And I think change my life. I hope that people who are listening to this podcast just take a second to think about the people in their life that are really important to them.
0: Thank you. Ilana Frank was on the podcast and talked about authentic leadership, and I could not think of a better person to talk about that because she is the chief executive of the Jewish Fertility Foundation and has built an organization based on her own authentic self. Ilana, what failure was most important to your development and why?
2: I can't believe I'm saying this, but infertility, I think my body's failure in trying to conceive a child, and continuing to be persistent so that I could figure out how to have three kids enabled me to be where I am today. I don't think I would have been able to meet the people I've met. I don't think I would be the leader I am. I would have surely never started Jewish Fertility Foundation, but all those years and years of pain and agony to
3: build my family just made me a stronger human.
0: Thank you. Joan Dove spoke with our podcast about ensuring your insurability, really making sure that your organization is managing its risks so that it not only can get insurance, but hopefully won't ever need the insurance that it gets. Joan is an executive with Arthur J. Gallagher, one of the largest insurance brokerage firms in the country. Joan, what failure was most impactful to your development and why?
4: Well, I had a failure early on in my insurance brokering career where I lost a client that was very important to me because I was not able to come up with the most competitive solution for their renewal and another local broker did. So I went into our building stairwell and after a few minutes of crying... (laughs) And trying to come to terms with the personal loss that I felt, as well as the professional loss, I thought, I have to do better, and how can I do that? And I came up with a number of ideas on why I could not find the solution and how I could fix that and address it. And one of the solutions was that instead of just every individual client like this going off on their own, trying to find a solution, I needed to band them together and try to put a group where we'd have some leverage in the market to come up with better coverage, better rates. And 30 years later, that program is still going strong and serves the need for dozens upon dozens, if not hundreds of clients. And so it ended up making my career. I had a really bad day to get it started.
0: Thank you. Carrie Strauss was on the podcast and spoke with us about running a high profile organization in a relatively small community. She was the executive director of the United Way of Bradford County in Tawanda, Pennsylvania, and she is one of those individuals who is proof that social workers change the world. Carrie, what failure was most important to your development and why?
5: I would say a failure that was very important to my development was when I thought that I had to do everything alone. And I would try to just work as hard as I could. I was raised, you know, to have a really strong work ethic and that the harder you work, the farther you get. And when you're leading an organization, that can be then transferred to, well, I have to work really hard. I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to be working around the clock. And, you know, it essentially as you know, would lead to burnout. And so in the first year or so of being a director of a small organization and feeling that weight on my shoulders, I was fortunate enough, I guess, to learn early on that I couldn't do it alone and that I couldn't be the only person expected to carry forth the mission and to really do all the important work that I knew was going to take place. And so a lesson to not feel like you have to do it alone and to embrace the board of directors and the volunteers and anybody who's willing to help carry that weight and to do the work with you. And so I think that that was a lesson that I was fortunate, I guess, to learn. It's a struggle that I think a lot of people go through and it's not uncommon in social work and any other field, but just to recognize, I guess, that to not have to carry the burden yourself and to feel that you're the only person to do everything, that you really do have to rely on a team and to have some of that perspective that will prevent the burnout, to be able to spread things out over time and take it in pieces and look at the big picture.
0: Thank you, Carrie. Mariah Collins of the Bridgespan Group came on the podcast and talked about baking equity into your measurement, evaluation, and learning. You may remember that she's a partner with the Bridgespan Group and really focuses on impact investing, measurement, evaluation, big bets, and public health. Mariah. What failure was most important to your development and why?
6: I'm going to go back a little bit in my life to share my failure story. I found basketball, I think when I was in fifth grade, and quickly became a huge basketball fanatic. I threw myself into those Saturday clinics. I was trying out for every team possible. I would practice for hours and hours And I always prided myself on being an athlete and a basketball player. And in high school, I made the JV team as a freshman, which was a big deal, junior varsity team as a freshman. And I thought, well, I will be on varsity by sophomore or junior year. So sophomore year came around, still on JV. Junior year was the big year. And I spent all fall training and ended up not making the varsity basketball team, which was a huge shock for me at that point in my life and really felt like it was calling into question my abilities, my identity. And I felt honestly just like a big failure and I had a choice to make. I had a choice to be a junior on a JB basketball team or to quit and to find something else And it was one of those decisions that, again, has, I think, truly informed how I've approached my life every day after. And I chose to stay on the JV team as a junior and do what I loved. And sort of taking that humble approach to failure was something that was not easy to do. You know, there were not very many juniors on the JV basketball team, and it was clearly an indicator of not being good enough to be on the varsity team. And yet I did it. And I had a fantastic season and I did what I loved for a couple more months. And from that, I learned a few things. One, I learned that your identity can change over time, who you are, the things that you love to do, the way that you are a part of the world can evolve and change over time. And that has been formative to me in a number of ways. You know, as I've become a parent, for example, the person that I am at work has changed and that's okay. And I'm actually better as a result of it. So that's one lesson. Two is for me, just really the power in community. I love team sports because you're a part of a community. You're a part of a group of people that are all working towards the same goal. And I found that community is truly what I wanna optimize for. I'd rather be a part of a community then be alone. And again, that's been a part of who I am is really trying to build and find communities wherever I go. And then third is that you're not always going to be the best at everything. And you know, I think when you're young and 15 and you're successful in certain ways, that's a, you know, a tough pill to swallow and I think it's just a constant reminder of you don't actually have to be the best at everything to have an impact and do what you love doing. And I've, again, just continued to say, you know, I may not be the best at, for example, Excel modeling when I started at Bridgespan, but I got good enough to do a good job at it. So how do you find the things that you are really good at in Excel, but also the things that you may not be as good at and just keep doing them?
0: That is inspirational. Thank you, Mariah. Social worker extraordinaire Marie Gress, who is also the founder of Cover, joined us a little bit ago, to talk about supervision practices that will strengthen your organization and your organization's communication. Marie, what failure was most important to your development and why?
7: So, when I was in my master's internship, I was working for an agency. I had a social work supervisor who was on the board, and then I had a task supervisor who oversaw the day-to-day and gave me assignments and things like that. One of the things that I had a lot of interest in was grant writing, and so my supervisor, my social work supervisor, gave me a project to work on, and I got into the final stages I'm ready to submit. I just needed my task supervisor to provide the budget for this. So I asked her for the budget and she was like, wait, what? What are you working on? What are you writing? What is this for? And she was just blown away that no one had talked to her about this thing that I was writing for. It was money that was going to benefit her program. It was going to support a new staff member. Everything about it, she liked and appreciated, but she had no idea that it was coming. No one even asked her for up-to-date data to make sure that this was going to be appropriate. And I was mortified. How could I have been working on this project most of the semester and never brought it up to my supervisor, my task supervisor? And I realized that I had been bringing my agenda to my social work supervisor, but was just reporting to my task supervisor to get jobs. I wasn't sharing what I was working on with her. I was just taking things in. That was huge for me. That led me into wanting to do supervision in a totally different way, being really intentional with the people I'm working with, making sure there's ample places for communication to happen. I'd rather say something twice than to miss it again, because that felt huge
0: to me. Hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that. A few months ago, Perine Kohlhaas came on the podcast and had a fantastic conversation with us about strengthening your back office while still maintaining your organization's culture. Perine is the Chief Operating Officer at Co-op Careers, which is a national workforce development nonprofit. Perine. What failure was most important to your development and why?
2: Yeah, Dolph, when I first moved from financial services into the nonprofit sector, my first job was with KIPP New Jersey, which is a K-12 education charter network in Newark, and I had been hired as the director of recruitment. My job was to lead a team of six recruiters in making sure that the network had enough teachers and school leaders in the buildings to be able to provide education to the students that we serve. I set up my year, made a whole strategic plan, was fully ready to hit the ground running. It was my first time being the manager of anyone, let alone an entire team, let alone an entire function. So I had quite a big charge in front of me. And the very first thing that my manager, who was the director of talent at Camping Jersey, said was, you're going to start off with a retreat. This team's never seen you before. They don't know who you are. So we're going to give you a day at like a local, you know, we'll rent a conference room in a local hotel in Newark. And you're going to lead the team in this retreat and do some goal setting. You're going to do some like team building and all of that. So I want to help you set up for success. We spent probably three to four weeks setting up for this beautiful day. In my mind, I had an agenda. I had, you know, I had stickers. I had a ball to be able to popcorn. I had icebreaker questions and all kinds of things. The day came, the day went, and I had a feedback survey at the end. And I read that feedback survey the very next day. It was six people. So it wasn't too many responses I had to wait for. And for lack of a better term, it was soul crushing. My entire team had thought that it was a complete waste of time. They had gotten no real benefit or understanding of what my goals were going to be as a director. They felt like we didn't have enough time to bond as a team, to get to know each other, that it felt like an entire day of being talked at versus talked with. And that they felt like this new leader was going to come in and change everything up. And the collaborative culture that they knew kept New Jersey to be was just going to go out the window with this career transformer that had gone over from financial services with their big Wall Street background and moved into nonprofit with this martyr syndrome. I was crying. I was in tears. And I think what I learned the most about that is, one, resilience. It was hard. But the next Monday, I walked in and I walked up to my talent officer and I said, hey, I need help. This feedback was soul crushing. You and I spent three to four weeks preparing for this. I clearly have a lot to build. The second thing that it taught me is that actions speak way louder than words. I went to each one of those team members individually and said, hey, can I have 30 minutes of your time to talk about what I did wrong here? What can I do better? And then the third thing that it taught me is that there's always a second chance. You just have to ask for it. And so after all of that legwork, I spent a lot of time with my manager. I spent a lot of time with each of my direct reports, figuring out what was a better way to move forward. We did the whole thing again. Three months later, much better feedback, still always room for improvement with a team that felt much more cohesive, much more connected, and much more collaborative in meeting our shared goals and our shared purpose. And it's sort of those three things I learned, the resilience, the second chance, and the Opportunity to continue to improve that I've constantly taken with me through all of my roles in nonprofits since then.
0: Thank you, Pareen. Rashida Childress joined us on the podcast a little while ago to talk about hiring and retaining fundraising staff. Rashida has been a journalist for 25 years and is currently the senior editor in charge of fundraising for the Chronicle of Philanthropy. Rashida, What failure was most important to your development and why?
3: Probably when I went to college, I was actually majoring in engineering. And I got there and I was doing all these engineering courses and I hated them and they were super hard. (laughs) And I was just like, I don't want to say I failed like a class, but I just failed at engineering. I was just not good (laughs) at it. I was like, this is miserable. And I realized I can't spend my life being miserable every day, going to all my classes and being with people who are not my people. Uh, they're, not, they're not my group. Everyone says, find your your tribe. These were not my tribe. And I was like, this is not my tribe. And so I decided to think about what I really wanted to do. And I switched majors and I found my tribe and the journalist and people who were curious and wanted to write and meet people. And I think that was a good experience. I think if you are finding that you are miserable doing something every day, you should stop doing it. And, you know, you will have people around you saying, oh, that's a good path. And there's lots of money there. And, oh, you'd be good at that. But if you are not enjoying it, that's not your path. So I would say that's the failure that taught me the most.
0: Thank you. When Rob Warnoff was on the podcast, he shared with us not just tips and tricks for staff retention, but really how to build a culture where people want to stay and people don't want to leave. Rob, what failure was most important to your development and why?
8: I started this work as a volunteer. I was an actor in New York doing shows at night. So I had my days free and started working with homeless kids and started doing trainings around that, specifically around LGBTQ youth for an organization called the Hetrick Martin Institute. And after a few years of doing these trainings, they were hiring a director of their training program. So I thought, I'm ready to do this professionally. I want to leave acting. I want to do this work full time. I applied for this training job. I really wanted this training job and I didn't get it. And I was devastated because I thought I'm so well suited to this, but I, I thought, well, maybe I should just go back to acting. You know. <laughs> so I was off doing a show after that out of town. I picked up the New York Times. I read in the paper that the governor of Massachusetts was starting this governor's commission on LGBT youth administered through the State Department of Public Health. I closed the paper, called my agent, said, I don't want to be sent out for any more shows. I'm going to Massachusetts. I called the Department of Public Health. I said, I have a useless Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in drama, and this is why you need to hire me to run this governor's commission. And they did. <laughs> and that work ended up leading to a lot of other work, which led me into working for the biggest child welfare agency in the state. That work was then noticed by the Child Welfare League of America. They sent me a letter saying, would you come direct this new national LGBTQ program we have? And my career was just off and running, which wouldn't have happened if I had gotten that first job that I thought I really, really, really wanted.
0: Thank you. Salus Serfati came on the podcast to talk about his company, Chariot, which helps nonprofits like yours Benefit from donor-advised funds with just a simple button on their website. Salo, what failure was most important to your development and why?
9: The biggest failure, or the one that was most impactful to me, was losing the state championship twice in high school for soccer. I was a captain at that team, and we had the whole school backing us. And I gave in to fear and pressure. And those are things that are very hard to deal with in high school. And I didn't play my best because of those two things. And I remember very vividly watching a Rocky movie before where the Rocky movie said, Rocky Baboa said, pressure or fear is like a volcano. You can either let it erupt and it'll melt you, or you can harness its energy and you'll meet 10x better. I definitely let it melt me. And it was that failure that has instilled in me a way of dealing with that pressure and dealing with that fear so that it doesn't happen again. And I don't think I would have been able to learn that if I didn't experience it. So I'm happy it happened early in my career.
0: Thank you. Whitney Anderson came on the podcast and shared the way that crafting stories can fuel your capital campaign. You may recall that she's the principal consultant for campaign services with Fox Advancement. And Whitney and her firm manage 10 to 12 campaigns each year. Whitney, what failure was most important to your development and why?
10: I remember one of the first capital campaigns that I was working on, we were in the process of writing the case statement. And I was the campaign consultant crafting the strategy, working with volunteers and staff, And then, kind of on the side, writing this case statement, to be honest, there was a lot going on, and I wasn't prioritizing the case statement in the way that I should in comparison to the other work. And for this particular campaign, a local CEO was one of the co chairs. And I was just getting to know him. I was so impressed by him, and I wanted to impress him as well with the services that were being provided by our firm. And I remember. Right before Memorial Day, we were having a meeting to discuss really the campaign strategy in general, but the case statement was on the agenda as well. And I felt okay about the case statement draft, but like I said, I hadn't been taking enough time with it. I really was doing it in a vacuum. I knew what it should look like, and I was preoccupied with other things, and it was ripped to shreds in that meeting. And I was mortified. I remember going into that Memorial Day weekend and not being able to relax at all. I just kept replaying that conversation over and over again in my head. And it wasn't so much that the case wasn't where it should be in terms of the vision and the content, it was that I knew I hadn't taken the time to ask. right questions. That was what stung the most for me. I really believe that a good case statement and any good story is written with collaboration, that there are other viewpoints brought into that. And I just realized that's where I really fell down. And I had to do a lot of rebuilding and some just exercises and trust with this particular person. And we ended up having a great relationship. We got the case statement written, but I just thought, oh, I missed an opportunity there to do the sort of work that I love to do and talking to other people to build that story. So it was a failure. One of many that I've had that was just so powerful for me because it made me take a step back and realize you know, really think about how to tell this story because it is the foundation of the
0: campaign. Thank you. Wow, what an incredible journey we have been on together today, friends. The stories shared by our guests have been truly inspiring and have shown us the power of resilience, learning, and growth that can come from our own most impactful failures. As we wrap up this special montage episode, I wanted to share my own greatest failure with you. Many of my longtime friends who have been with me on this podcast journey for a while have undoubtedly heard about how I became a toxic person and a toxic leader. It led to what could only be described as a career meltdown and an eight-month period of self-reflection, personal renewal, and a recommitment to becoming the person I was meant to be. But that, my friends, is not actually my most impactful failure. That failure happened nearly five years earlier when I was interviewing for the job. I flew across the country for a day of interviews. And oh my gosh, I remember it was a packed day, literally. I think I arrived in the city at like... 8.30, was at the organization by 10, and literally was just in back-to-back interviews with multiple stakeholders, constituencies, et cetera, from about 10 o'clock in the morning until about 6 o'clock in the evening. And so as I settled into my cramped airplane seat at 8.30 at night to head back home to Philly, I knew deep down I wasn't the best fit to be their next executive director. I remember feeling really tired and also feeling really strongly that I wasn't the right person. And so the very next day, I called up their board chair. I thanked her for the opportunity to interview and I withdrew my candidacy. And my friends, what happened next is 100% on me. I let the board chair and the board convince me that I was the right candidate for the job. I have to admit that being wooed by the board stroked my ego And my ego helped me believe that I could change myself and the organization to make it work. And you know, I actually think that's the definition of hubris. But within my first 12 months in that job, I realized what a tragic mistake I had made, but was still determined to force my square peg into their round hole for almost four more years. Since then, I have been far more careful about the engagements I say yes to. And I trust my gut when it sounds alarm bells. You see, I would rather listen to my internal warnings and say no to an opportunity that maybe has an off chance of maybe being a good fit than to inflict the pain of a bad fit on myself and everyone else in my life. So that, my friends, is my most impactful failure And I would like to extend an invitation to you. I would love to hear about your own most impactful failure and what you learned from it. So please send me an email or a voice memo and let's continue this conversation together. And once you're done sending me that email or voice memo, if you're craving other montage episodes, there are two that I think you might really find interesting. One is episode 282, 12 Ways You Can Recruit and Retain Top Talent. And I also think you should check out the montage episode titled, 17 Leadership Books to Add to Your Reading List. Thank you, friends, for joining me on this special episode. I hope you found it as inspiring and enlightening as I did. And please, as I always ask you, share this episode with someone you think could benefit from these stories. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. Your support helps us continue to bring you these authentic and powerful conversations. And as I say at the end of every episode, I hope you have gained some insight to help you and your nonprofit thrive. Hold on, friends. Before we go, here's a quick disclaimer that the lawyers make me say. Now, you might think I'm a bit of an expert on failure after this episode, but I must confess I am not an accountant, attorney, or a certified failure consultant. Neither I nor my consulting practice provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Today's episode is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. If you are looking for guidance on how to properly fail within the bounds of tax laws, legal regulations, or accounting principles, please consult a qualified, licensed professional in these areas. Remember, friends, when it comes to navigating the treacherous water of taxes, legal matters, and accounting, it is best to leave the failing to the experts. So please don't try any epic financial or legal failures without the guidance of a qualified professional. Stay safe out there and happy failing.